Okay, so this is Pastor Brian Lichty, um, and my name is Becca. I work for him, which is kind of fun. Um, his title here is uh, Pastor for Counseling North, which just changed from care and counseling. Um, he doesn't care anymore. <laughs> um, he's been married to Casey Lichty, who is also with us, for 22 years, and they have three boys. The first is in his first year in college, um, and he has lived, you guys have lived all over the Midwest, um, five states, and they do really enjoy Minnesota. And then a couple of fun facts. His caffeine choice is Diet Sunkist. Um, and he begins each day with dark chocolate and ends it with chocolate ice cream. <laughs> I do like chocolate. Doesn't everybody like chocolate? Just about. Well, as Becca mentioned, my name is Brian Lichty. I do serve here as the pastor for counseling. And among other things, I get to actually counsel people which is a real joy. Uh, so I get to actually counsel people as well as oversee our lay counseling team and then also get the joy of doing counseling training and providing resources uh, like we're doing in this time. So really grateful for this opportunity to share with you about anxiety. Uh, it's something that I think all of us are familiar with and all of us can use some tools uh, from scripture to help us. So here's what I want to do during our time uh, this morning. I want to try to tackle two things. Uh, first, I want to talk about seven important things to know about anxiety. And then second, I want to talk about six ways to begin addressing anxiety. So you should have a handout. Hopefully that uh, was circulated. And you can just follow along. There's going to be some scripture references. There's going to be some quotes. So those should be right there in front of you. And uh, just take notes, and we will have time for Q&A at the end, so jot those down as we go. All right, so let's go ahead and get started by considering seven things to understand about anxiety. Uh, the first thing is that we all get anxious at times, right? We all get anxious at times. Uh, so let's start by considering Ryan's story. So Ryan had to figure out how to keep his boss, George, happy. George seemed to avoid him. And when Ryan did see him, George seemed irritated by everything he did. George was always asking why projects hadn't been done earlier, and then he piled on more work. With only two months until Christmas, Ryan couldn't afford to lose his job. He thought, how will Cheryl and I be able to afford Christmas presents? Without my job, we would certainly lose our house. How would Cheryl and the kids handle that? How would my marriage even survive? Ryan couldn't let all that happen. He had to keep this job. He frantically reviewed all of his work, rereading every email his boss had sent him during the past month. He spent the rest of the day trying to work and worrying about everything that could be wrong. What if my boss isn't happy with the reports I prepared for the big meeting last week? What if I made a calculation error? What if I end up costing the company thousands of dollars because of my mistake? What if that mistake gets me fired? When he got home at the end of the day, he was exhausted. His head was killing him, his muscles were tight, and he could barely focus at supper with his family. Cheryl asked him what was wrong, but all he said was that he had a hard day at work. His mind was spinning with anxiety, and he wondered how much more stress he could take. I don't know about you, but when I read through Ryan's experience, uh, it just reminds me that really anxiety is universal. I think it's something that we all experience. 
So like Ryan, right, we've had times when life is kind of swirling around us and uh, the cares of our heart just start to multiply, right? Uh, like Ryan, we've had those weeks where the stressors and the pressures keep piling on and we kind of go into that mental spin cycle. So anxiety is not just a problem for Ryan. Uh, it's a problem for all of us. It's something that I experience, something that you experience, something that's common to all. And it makes sense, I think, that anxiety is so common and universal uh, because Jesus said we were going to face trouble in this world, right? He said, in this world, we will have trouble, and we do, right? You turn on the news, and what do you see? Trouble, right? There's division and chaos and hostility over all sorts of things, right? COVID and race and politics, right? There's trouble in our families, uh, right? Some of us have broken relationships with family members. Uh, maybe we have uh, prodigal children. Maybe we've recently lost loved ones. And then, of course, there's trouble in our own lives, right? Maybe financial pressures. Maybe we've been recently ill. Whatever the pressures are we're facing, there's all sorts of opportunity and troubles, and these things can lead us to become anxious. So we really live in a world filled with trouble. We live in a worrisome world. And because of that, we all get anxious at times, every single one of us. So that's the first thing. We all get anxious at times. Number two, we get anxious about different things. In other words, uh, there are lots of different objects of our anxiety. So you see some examples here. Um, for some, it may be finances. For some, maybe it's safety or health or employment or performance or relationships or kids or even our country or our greater world, right? Personally, um, for me, anxiety really revolves primarily around the area of performance uh, because I like to achieve. I like to succeed and do well and kind of hit the mark. And, um, you know, ironically, doing things like this can actually produce some anxiety for me. Um, and maybe you can relate. Maybe you're an achiever like I am. You like to do really well and you hate to fail. Um, or maybe it's something completely different. Maybe for you, it's, it's that child who's really struggling in math and you're wondering, what if they don't pass, right? Maybe it's uh, financial strain and stress. Uh, I just don't know if we're going to have enough money um, in the bank at the end of the month to pay all these bills. Uh, maybe it's just you're so exhausted, you're putting in so much time and effort, you're just worried, can I actually get a chance to rest? Will I actually be able to relax at the end of a day or at the end of a week? So again, all sorts of possibilities um, that we can get anxious about, all sorts of objects of our anxiety. So that's number two, we get anxious about different things. Number three, we express anxiety in different ways. Uh, for some people, anxiety is very visible and it comes out often through expressions of maybe anger or sadness. Uh, for others, it's more hidden, it's more quiet. You can actually be with someone an entire day who's anxious and you don't know it, but they feel it. It's just kind of internal. Uh, for some people, anxiety is felt very strongly in their bodies, uh, so they feel restless, they have muscle tension, their, their palms get sweaty. Other people, it's again, very much internal. It's very contained in their mind and their thoughts. For some people, anxiety leads them to kind of feverish activity, right? They might start pacing or you know, checking their email constantly or biting their nails, right? Uh, but for others, anxiety almost kind of slows them down. 
It's almost as if it kind of paralyzes them. And so those are just a few examples, but I think that shows us, right, that we can express our anxiety in different ways. All right, number four. Our anxiety can take on different severities and forms. And for most of us, anxiety is pretty low level, right? Um, it bothers us at times. There's, it's definitely an inconvenience, but it doesn't really interrupt our lives. Uh, we might obsess about something for a few hours. We might even lose a night of sleep or two, but it doesn't ultimately keep us from doing the things we need to do. Now, for others, it's a very different experience, right? It causes significant distress. It actually interferes with daily life. And when anxiety gets to that point, it's often considered a mental disorder, and it can receive one of several diagnoses. Uh, the most common diagnosis for an anxiety disorder is called general anxiety disorder. And what that involves is at least six months of excessive worry combined with several physical symptoms. So things like restlessness or irritability or difficulty concentrating. In addition to that general or generalized anxiety disorder, there's some more focused anxiety disorders. Uh, things like post-traumatic stress disorder or agoraphobia or social anxiety disorder as examples. And we don't have time to go over all the differences, but I have provided what I think is a, a helpful chart uh, that kind of contrasts between what I would call everyday anxiety and then some of these anxiety disorders. So you can just kind of glance at that and see uh, some of the distinctions there. And I think even just glancing at that, um, you see that anxiety really isn't, you know, one size fits all, right? I, again, it's different. It varies from person to person, and it can take on different severities and forms. So, all right, we've talked about four things. We've talked about the reality that we all get anxious at times. Uh, we get anxious about different things. We express that anxiety in different ways, and our anxiety can take on different severities or forms. Next, it's important to understand that our anxiety can have various causes. And there's a lot I could say here, um, but because we're limited in time, I'm just going to highlight three common causes of our anxiety. Uh, the first would be circumstances. And probably the best example of this would be some sort of past traumatic event. Right? So, for example, if you were in a serious car accident, or maybe you witnessed a shooting, or you were sexually assaulted, that's going to impact you. Um, it could impact you in some very significant ways. Uh, you might re-experience that trauma through distressing nightmares and flashbacks. You might find yourself trying to avoid thoughts and feelings and situations that are associated with that trauma. You might also find yourself becoming more anxious. And often that plays out with kind of an increased arousal response where you're kind of on alert, right? You're edgy, um, you're on guard, and you kind of become hypervigilant. And so whatever that struggle looks like, it all traces back to that traumatic event, right? Um, so again, that's an example of how circumstances can actually be a cause of anxiety. Another cause of anxiety is our bodies, right? In other words, things can go wrong in our brains, right? Our hormones can become imbalanced. Uh, we can face certain medical conditions that can actually lead us to have bodily feelings of anxiety. So depending on what's going on, you might feel shaky, 
you might have an accelerated heart rate, uh, you might get an upset stomach, all of those kind of physical symptoms uh, could happen, and there's others as well. Uh, listen to what uh, biblical counselor Helen Thorne has to say about the connection between our bodies and anxiety. Here's what she says. Anxiety can itself have deep roots in our physical being. For example, changes in our hormones can bring a biochemically induced sense of dread. For some, that's a persistent feeling. For others, a regular cycle where specific days result in tears and anger that don't quite fit what is going on in the world around us. Similarly, genetic predispositions to anxiety may perhaps be connected to particular tendencies in our neurochemistry. More serious, but much rarer, are conditions like brain tumors, which can alter our very perception of life. So we've talked about how circumstances can be a cause of anxiety, our bodies can be a cause of anxiety, and then our hearts can also be a cause of anxiety. And uh, heart is really another term in scripture for our soul or our spirit. And according to scripture, one of the things that the heart does is it desires things, all right? So in other words, our hearts have cares. They have values. There's things we get concerned about. That comes from our heart. And when something that we care about um, and are concerned about is threatened or in potential danger, that's often when we become anxious. Let me say that again. That's, that's important. When something or someone we care about is threatened or in potential danger, that's when we become anxious. So for instance, uh, several years ago, uh, my wife was hospitalized and they told us after we were admitted that it might be cancer. I can tell you, I became anxious in that moment, very anxious. Um, or I remember a few years later, we were trying to sell our house and they did an inspection and they said the entire foundation had shifted. I became anxious in that moment. Um, or I remember the very first time that I preached here at Bethlehem. I became anxious. Why did I become anxious in those situations? Well, because I cared about those things, right? I cared about my wife. I didn't want her to struggle. I didn't want her to get sick or get cancer. I cared about that house. We really wanted to sell that house. Um, I cared about my reputation. I wanted to make a good impression on you all when I first preached. So those cares of my heart, those things that I valued, those desires are what ultimately led me to be anxious in those situations. So again, our circumstances, our bodies, and our hearts are all common causes of anxiety. Number six, our anxiety can be godly or sinful. Our anxiety can be godly or sinful. And to unpack this, let me uh, just start by sharing a very helpful quote from uh, biblical counselor David Pallison. He says, begin by asking yourself this question. Would you want to live your entire life with no anxiety? Before you quickly and enthusiastically say, yes, think for a moment. Isn't the opposite of anxiety being inert, indifferent to the world around you? If you really want to be anesthetized, there are drugs, meditation techniques, and life philosophies that will stop you from caring. When you stop caring, you won't be anxious anymore. Detachment doesn't fill anxiety and concern. But what would be missing? Anxiety, when you get to the bottom of it, is a God-given capacity for knowing that something bad is going on in your world, 
either in the past, the present, or the future. This is not necessarily negative. There's a right kind of anxiety that leads us to express loving concern for others in the midst of their trouble and draws us to take refuge in God when we are in trouble. So anxiety can serve a useful function in our lives when it alerts us to trouble and drives us to bring those troubles to God. But it can also go way off the rails. How does anxiety misfire? First, we overreact to real trouble. Second, we become upset about things that ought not to trouble us. In both cases, our bad anxiety reveals what is really going on in our hearts. So this is important. Do you, do you get a sense of what Pallison's saying here? He's saying God doesn't want us to be numb, right, to the trouble and the, the hardships and the realities of living in a fallen and broken world. He's actually hardwired us. He's made us to be affected by them. And so when we get concerned about something bad happening, that's not a bad thing, right? When we get upset because something or someone we care about is threatened, that's actually a good thing, right? But like everything else, what often starts off good can become tainted and sinful. So as Pallison says, we can become upset about things that we just shouldn't be upset about. Or we can also overreact to the troubles of this life. So in other words, we can kind of become consumed by our concerns, right? We can become so consumed with them that we stop thinking about God or the reality that he cares for us or is even our heavenly father. And when that happens, that's when our anxiety moves towards becoming sinful. And one place where I think we see this pretty clearly, an example of sinful anxiety, is in Matthew chapter 6. And I'm not going to read the passage. Uh, you have it in front of you. But I do want to highlight two things that Jesus shows us there about sinful anxiety. So one thing that he shows us is that sinful anxiety typically involves idolatrous desires. I think we see that kind of at the end of the passage in verses 31 to 33. Notice there that Jesus discourages the disciples from being anxious, right? And specifically, what he discourages is kind of this anxious speech. You know, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And the reason he gives for discouraging these things is because the Gentiles, or pagans, right, people who weren't Christians, uh, seek after these things. So that's the reason. These Gentiles, or pagans, seek after these things. And that word seek there in verse 32 is very significant, right? It's not kind of a, a wimpy, half-hearted kind of seeking. This is an all-out, running after, pursuing with your whole heart kind of seeking. All right, here's how one commentator explains it. He says, to seek is to set your heart on something. It's to make it your main objective. What you seek is what you think about. It's what you pursue. It's what you live for. So basically, what Jesus is saying here, his problem with their concerns for food or drink or clothing is that they're making these things their main objective. They're idolizing these things, right? They're essentially worshiping these things in their hearts. They've become the greatest value to them. And of course, it makes sense that Gentiles or pagans would do that, right? Um, that's all they have to live for, what they eat, what they drink, what they wear. 
But as Christians, we have something greater to live for, right? There are good gifts that were given on this earth, but ultimately we have something even greater uh, to capture the attention of our hearts, namely God and his kingdom. So rather than being overly concerned with and idolizing earthly things, what should we do? We should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So again, sinful anxiety typically involves idolatrous desires. Sinful anxiety also typically involves unbelief. In other words, we get sinfully anxious because we leave God out of the picture, right? It's as, as if we're kind of envisioning a future without him, where he's not part of the story, where he's not sovereign, where he's not good. So when we get sinfully anxious, uh, we're not usually thinking about God, let alone trusting in him. Um, instead, we're looking to ourselves. And that's often why we kind of just turn things over and over and over and over again in our minds. We're actually trying to kind of depend on ourselves and solve that, you know, anxiety ourselves. And I think this is why Jesus tells uh, the disciples here to look at the birds, right, in verse 26, or to consider the lilies in verse 28. And it's certainly why he tells them in verse 30, um, or he refers to them, rather, as being of little faith. Jesus knows that behind our sinful anxiety is often unbelief. And he knows for that to change, we're going to have to shift our focus, right? Ultimately, we're going to have to shift our focus to him, right? That he's our heavenly father and to consider who he is and the care he has for us. So again, I think Matthew 6 is an example in scripture, and there are some others, of Jesus addressing sinful anxiety. And again, it shows us that sinful anxiety often involves idolatrous desires and unbelief. But, as I mentioned a moment ago, it's really important to remember, not all anxiety is sinful, right? There is a way to have righteous concern uh, when we think something bad will happen to something or someone we care about. And it might be helpful to think about it this way. Um, anxiety, in many ways, is like all of our emotions, right? It can go in either direction, right? So think about anger. Anger can be righteous or unrighteous, right? Jealousy, you can have right jealousy or wrong jealousy. Uh, Corinthians talks about sorrow, that it can be godly or worldly. Same thing with anxiety. It can be godly or sinful. All right. Well, we have one more thing to cover um, in terms of things to know about anxiety. And this is probably the most important one. God understands our experience of anxiety. He understands it. Just listen to these scriptures. John 16 says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when he will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Or Jesus also speaking in Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Or Psalm 94 mentions, If the Lord had not been my help, 
my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. So I think among other things, these passages reveal that God is very familiar with the troubles that we face. He knows the anxieties of our hearts, right? So he knows when we struggle to find peace. He knows when those burdens are kind of sitting and weighing on us, right? And he knows every feature of every single anxiety that we face. And not only does he know it and understand it, but he has help for us, right? Uh, he invites us to bring our cares to him. Um, he loves us. And so when something affects us, it affects him. He's literally moved by what moves us. So if there's care and concern on your heart, God has those concerns for you. So to put it succinctly, because of God, there's hope for anxiety, right? He not only understands what we're facing, but he has help to give. He has resources. He has strength and wisdom that he can provide for us. So in light of all that, um, how do we address these concerns? How do we address those burdens when they start to weigh heavily on our hearts? Well, I want to suggest six things, six ways to begin addressing your anxiety. So number one, try to identify any patterns related to your anxiety. And one of the best tools you can use for this is to journal. Uh, some people do this uh, by writing out in an actual notebook of sorts. Um, other people, they'll do this on their app, however you want to do it. Uh, but what I encourage is take a couple of weeks and just track those times when you start to feel anxious. Uh, you can note things like where you were anxious and when you were anxious and what it looked like and maybe what you were anxious about. And sometimes just doing that exercise will give you some insight, right? Maybe there's a pattern uh, behind your anxiety. So maybe it happens, for instance, at the start of the day when you're looking at your schedule and you're kind of overwhelmed and you just start to feel that sense of unease. Maybe it happens in the middle of the day. Um, maybe you're, you're turning over in your head conversations you had earlier with your spouse or your children. Maybe it happens at night uh, when you find yourself stress eating or stress cleaning to kind of crowd out the noise in your heart. Whatever's happening, whatever it looks like, try to identify the patterns. Often, not always, but often, there's a pattern there. Number two, ask clarifying questions about your anxiety. And this is where I think it's really helpful to think through those three common causes that we talked about earlier. Maybe there was a circumstance, right, or some kind of past event that's triggering a lot of your anxiety. Think through that. Uh, maybe there's something going on in your body, right, that's producing those feelings of anxiety. Or maybe your anxiety began or maybe is being accentuated, right, in your heart. So ask yourself some questions, and these are just a few examples. <clears throat> Did something happen recently or in the past that is upsetting to me? Uh, do these feelings of anxiety come out of nowhere and seem random? Is there something I'm concerned about that's being threatened right now? Maybe your health, your child's safety, your reputation, or something else. Again, sometimes just asking those questions will bring you some clarity. 
and it will help you to kind of know, where, where do I begin with this? Um, how do I start to talk to the Lord about this? Uh, but even if it's unclear what the cause is, kind of what's at the root of that, that's okay. You actually don't have to know the cause, <clears throat> excuse me, of your anxiety to be able to get help. Um, and I would just point to scripture. Uh, there's lots of examples where God ministers greatly. He provides profound help to people who have no idea what the cause of their suffering is, right? Job is a great example. Paul's another one. So don't get discouraged if you ask some of those questions and you're just, I just don't know. I don't know what the cause is. That's okay. Um, and that's really where number three um, comes into play. <clears throat> Excuse me. So number three, number three, go to your heavenly father and talk to him about your anxiety, right? It seems so simple, uh, but it's something that we can often forget. I know when I'm anxious or I start to go down that path, um, sometimes that's the last thing I'm thinking about. I'm trying to solve it. I'm trying to kind of work it out my, on, my, on my own. So again, go to your heavenly father. Start praying to him. Start talking about it. And just remember, right, he loves you. He wants to hear from you. You're his child, right? He's affected by what affects you. So pour out your heart to him. Uh, talk to him about the things you're anxious about, how you're dealing with that anxiety, um, and ask him for help. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for grace. Um, and Scripture commends this kind of activity, right? First uh, Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. So we have a gracious and loving Heavenly Father who wants to hear from us all the time, and especially when those cares are multiplying on our hearts. Number four, take time to meditate on God's Word, including specific promises related to your anxiety. After all, as Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In other words, Scripture is powerful, right? God's Word has power to affect our hearts, to affect our lives, right? It can give us wisdom when we don't know what to do. Um, it can remind us of how loving and caring He is as our Heavenly Father. And, and God's Word actually has the power to literally calm our anxious hearts. So I just encourage you, uh, sink your teeth into Scripture, find promises that are relevant to your anxiety, and meditate upon them. And if you want some examples, especially of promises that can be really helpful— um, these are some examples that you see from uh, Pastor John Piper's uh, book, Future Grace. So I commend those to you. Next, number five, pay attention to your body. Pay attention to your body. And there's a couple of reasons why that's important. First, as we talked about earlier, our anxiety can have a physical or bodily cause, right? So if you're experiencing concerning physical symptoms, or even just ongoing kind of minor physical symptoms, I would encourage you to go to your doctor. Um, it could be a thyroid issue, right? It could be a side effect of some kind of medication you're on. It could be something else entirely, but why not go and get it checked out? There's no shame in that. 
Go to your doctor and get it checked out. A second reason it's really important to pay attention to your body is because we as people are body-soul or body-heart unities, right? In other words, what happens with our body does impact our heart, and what happens with our heart does impact our body. So for instance, I know when I get anxious, even if it starts in my heart, I can often get restless and struggle to sleep at night. So when our bodies are affected by anxiety, it's important to take care of them, right? And it depends on uh, the person, it depends on the anxiety, it depends on the situation, but there's lots of different things that can help. Um, it can help to exercise, right? That's been shown to release endorphins and relieve muscle tension. Uh, it can be helpful to take deep breaths, especially if you start to get anxious enough where you're starting to panic, right? It can calm you down, it can slow down your uh, breathing and your heart rate and keep you from kind of going into a fight-flight response. It can also be helpful to adjust priorities or do things like maybe make some diet changes or even address sleep hygiene, among other things. So lots of ways to do this, but it's important to remember this. We're, we're not just souls or hearts, right? We're embodied souls, so take care of your body. And when anxiety is involved, um, it's important to do that. And then last but not least, number six, seek out support and counsel from fellow believers at church. And I think this is really important regardless of kind of the cause of our anxiety. So whether it's, you know, rooted in circumstances or your body or even your heart, I would say that, you know, biblical support and counsel is always helpful, always. And, and here's the beautiful thing, right? That's actually why we have one another. It's why the church exists. And we're here to comfort one another and to bear one another's burdens and to speak the truth in love to one another. Why? So that together we can become more like Jesus. So I would just say, if you're struggling with anxiety, don't struggle alone. You don't have to, right? And we have groups like this um, or small groups or other communities here at Bethlehem where you can lean on a sister and um, share your heart and get that care and support and counsel. And I would also say that if those struggles persist or become really complex and you're needing more intensive help, then we would love to help you. Uh, we have a, a team of lay counselors, about 14 of them, who are godly and who are gifted, and they walk with people week after week. So if you're hitting a wall with your anxiety and you're wanting something more intense in terms of care and counsel um, and structure, then reach out to us. Uh, we would love to help you. And if for some reason we don't have someone who's kind of equipped and experienced uh, with your particular struggle, then we will connect you to someone who is. So if you want just more information in general about uh, what counseling looks like here at the North Campus, uh, there's an FAQ uh, right at the back of your, your handout. So, all right, well, let's see how we're doing on time. Um, all right, pretty close here. So uh, that's kind of the material that I was hoping to cover, but I do want to open it up for, for questions. So you guys have done a great job listening. So what questions do you have about anxiety? Don't be shy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So the question, I'm going to repeat the questions just for the audio. I'm guessing that's helpful. Uh, so the question is, you know, 
uh, I've suggested journaling or, or starting to talk to the Lord. And what if you're taking those steps, but you're still kind of stuck? Is that the essence of it? Okay. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, uh, anxiety is complex. Um, sometimes there isn't quick answers, right? Uh, because it's, a, it's such a common struggle and troubles continue to surround us, it may be something that's just ongoing, right? And we have to continue to kind of battle with and go to the Lord with just in a repeated fashion. So it may just be more of a, a rhythms that we learn. I'm going to try to uh, more instinctively go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to rehearse these truths and promises and um, uh, let these words dwell in my heart. Um, I think there's other things too, like reaching out to others. And I think especially if you get stuck, that's where, you know, talking to others um, or even reaching out for formal counseling, I think can be a great tool. And sometimes that's where you can really maybe get to the heart of things if it's unclear and just get some additional tools. So, so yeah, I think, I think it depends on the person. Um, I think some, some of us, we're going to just kind of struggle with this on and off the rest of our life, but it's going to be pretty low level. But I would say definitely, if you're hitting a wall or getting stuck, um, why not get additional perspective, right? And that's, that's what we're here for. We all have blind spots. Um, we all are called to kind of, you know, minister the word to one another. And so um, I know I benefited from that. I know many who have, and so I would commend it. Yep. Yeah. So the question is, how do we help our kids uh, with anxiety? I think one of the biggest things is just creating an environment where they will talk to us about those things, right? So kind of normalizing it, right? I think one thing we can do as moms and dads is to kind of model that we get anxious or we're struggling with something, and here's what we do. Um, we don't have the answers, and we don't want to try to solve this ourselves, so we're going to go and talk to God. Um, so I think, I think creating an environment where you model, um, you know, we're, we're broken people and we have struggles and uh, we can go to our Heavenly Father. I think that's significant. Um, I, think, I think also just having a kind of relationship with your children, again, where there's that environment and culture where they're willing to come to you and uh, you can have those conversations. And I think it's just modeling a lot of the things here. Um, you know, not looking at it simplistically. It may not be solely a spiritual issue. It might also be a physical issue. To have those categories in mind with your children is really important. Um, I think uh, there's other things you can model too, like um, God's word and how we can write it on our hearts and rehearse those truths to ourselves. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of things we can do, but I think a lot of it starts with just modeling and creating that culture where they'll actually share those struggles with us. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, I think there's questions we can ask um, that will help them or us kind of get to the heart of things. And we often call these kind of x-ray questions, but think about what the heart does, right? It's, it's desiring. So you can ask them things like, is there something that you're wanting or something that you're fearing or something that you're avoiding? Um, is there something that you're uh, afraid is you're going to lose, right? Those kinds of questions will get a little bit more below the surface and maybe help identify what's going on. Uh, maybe they're really scared about, you know, failing their math test, or maybe it's um, they're going to go to sledding with a friend and they're concerned about getting hurt because they've never been sledding before, whatever it is, right? 
So those are, those are a few thoughts. Great question. Yeah, great question. So the role of medications. I think medications are a, a grace, um, a common grace that God has provided. Um, and depending on the situation, they can be very helpful. So um, one of the things that's, I think it's in your footnotes somewhere, uh, we did a whole um, kind of seminar on mental health challenges. And one of the things we go through is um, some of the, uh, I guess you could say, positives and negatives of medication. Um, so I, I can't go over all of those, but I would, I would encourage you to check out that material. But what I will say is I think ultimately it comes down to a wisdom issue. Um, we can use medication for wrong reasons or we can use them for the right reasons, right? So uh, a wrong reason would be um, I don't want to have to deal with my heart or anything spiritual going on here. I just kind of want to do this so I can uh, just get a quick fix and kind of go on with life. When really God would say, like, are, are you bringing these things to me? Is there, are you, are you looking at your heart and seeing if that's a contribution? Um, so we don't want to use it as kind of an escape or a distraction from kind of the holistic help we need. Um, so that would be a, a wrong reason to use them. Um, a right reason to use them, I would say, would be, you know, I've had these symptoms for a while and uh, there seems to be something physiological going on and I've gone to my doctor and they think it would help. And so why not give that a try? Um, and I think, you know, we want to be aware of side effects and we want to research those things. Um, but I just think ultimately it comes down to wisdom. Um, there's no right or wrong, but there can be right or wrong reasons for doing it. So, yeah. Great questions. Yeah, uh, so the question is uh, books, uh, resources for either adults or children. So my favorite book um, on anxiety, probably the top two, uh, one would be uh, I think it's called Living Without Worry by Tim Lane. That's really good. Um, another one, it, it came out more recently. It was by one of the uh, women who are quoted here, Helen Thorne. Um, I forget what it's called, but I think it's, it's in the notes here. Uh, Hope in an Anxious World, Six Truths for When Things Feel Overwhelming. Those are, those are probably two, I think they're two really uh, they're biblically robust, but they also pay attention to the body. Um, and uh, I think they're just nuanced where we want them to be. So those are really good for adults. Uh, children, so uh, one of the instructors at CCEF, uh, where I had a lot of my counseling training, um, her name is Julie Lowe. She's done some good writing on children and anxiety. And I know she has a mini book. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's... It's one of those small booklets like we have over by the counseling room. There might even be some of those over there. Um, it's like children and anxiety or something of that sort. That's a good place to start. Um, that's probably the best one that comes to mind. So, yeah. Good. I'm not sure how much more time we have, but I'm, I'm willing to take more questions. It's 11.05. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll just be over somewhere at the side here, and I think there's some table questions, um, so hopefully these are helpful as you discuss these among yourselves. So thanks, everyone. Thank you. Mm -hmm.